The Black Death caused many Europeans to lose their faith in the church. The church was devastated by the plague. Many of its clergy died, and it was hard to find individuals who truly wanted to dedicate their lives to God. Instead, many people now joined the church to find security for themselves and to live comfortable lives. The loss of so many people during the plague also meant that church revenues were down. The church needed money, but there were not enough people to pay their tithes to the church or who were willing to give. Obviously, the church needed new sources of income. Many people still believed in relics, saints' bodies, or belongings that possessed magical powers. Every saint had their specialty. St. Clair for the eyes, St. Christopher to protect travelers. Churches maintained these relics, and pilgrims flocked to touch or venerate these objects, usually for a fee. The church was also willing to sell and authenticate relics. Frederick the Wise of Saxony had a collection of 17,000 relics, including a remnant of Moses' burning bush, pieces of the holy cradle, shreds from Christ's diapers, and 33 fragments of the holy cross. Another source of church income was the granting of dispensations. There were many church laws, and in order to get around these laws, you could petition the church for dispensation or relaxation of the law for your case. The intermarriage of first cousins in order to keep dowries within the family was quite common, especially among the rich. Unfortunately, church law banned the marriage of first cousins, so you needed a dispensation. The biggest moneymaker, however, was the sale of indulgences. An indulgence was remission by papal authority of all or part of the temporal punishment due for sin in this life. The Pope had access to the Treasury of Merits, a storehouse of surplus good works and prayers piled up by Christ, saints, and clergy since Christianity's earliest beginnings. Indulgences began in the 11th century as an incentive to encourage the Crusaders, but by the 14th century, popes sold indulgences to raise money for worthy causes. In 1476, Pope Sixtus IV declared that indulgences could be extended to the dead as well as to the living. In the aftermath of the Black Death, when so many people had died without the ability to confess their sins, their relatives believed that buying indulgences would either release them from purgatory or hell or reduce the time they spent in these places. They bought them for their own personal use also. Professional indulgence sellers were hired by the church to get as many people as possible to buy. One of these professionals was Johann Tetzel, who stirred his audiences with moving auditory. Don't you hear the voices of your dead parents and other relatives crying out, Have mercy on us, for we suffer great punishment and pain. From this you could release us with a few alms. We have created you, fed you, cared for you, and left you our temporal goods. Why do you treat us so cruelly and leave us to suffer in the flames when it takes only a little to save us? Tetzel went on. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. One of the people listening to Tetzel 
was a German monk, Martin Luther. Luther was the son of successful peasants who wanted him to be a lawyer. Instead, he entered the Order of the Hermits of St. Augustine on July 17, 1505. Luther had promised St. Anne, patron saint of travelers in distress, that if he escaped a terrible lightning storm, he would enter a monastery. Luther was ordained in 1507 as a monk, but he, but he believed himself too sinful to ever achieve the perfect righteousness the church required for salvation. Traditional church practices such as fasting, pilgrimages, and mortification of his flesh gave him no hope that he would ever reach heaven. However, one night as he read his Bible, Luther saw the phrase, Deliver me in thy justice. It became clear to Luther that there was hope. God was just and therefore knew that Luther was trying to live as righteously as possible. A further text, The Just Shall Live by Faith, written on a letter from St. Paul to the Romans, added to Luther's conviction that he was not doomed. Christ died for men's sins to be forgiven. Those who simply believed in Christ were saved, while religious works and ceremonies did nothing. In 1517, Luther felt he had to speak out. Tetzel's advertising campaign once again went against everything Luther believed. He wrote to his archbishop, the very man who had hired Tetzel, objecting to the continued sale of indulgences and enclosed a pamphlet he had written against church practices. This pamphlet was the 95 Theses. Luther's pamphlet translated from Latin into German, circulating throughout Germany and then Europe. The archbishop did not answer Luther. He simply forwarded his pamphlet to the Pope, Leo X, hinting at possible heresy. The Pope sent several theologians to confront Luther and persuade him to acknowledge his errors. Luther defend him, defended himself, but in a debate stated that neither the Pope nor his counsels were infallible and were not the sole interpreters of Scripture. In 1520, Luther wrote three seminal pamphlets formulating the outline of what was soon to become the new Lutheran religion. Lutheranism depended on justification by faith, the primacy of the Scripture, the literal meaning of scripture should be preferred to tradition, and the priesthood of all believers, the congregation of faithful, not a special club of ordained priests. Luther discarded such formalized practices as pilgrimages and the veneration of relics. He recognized only baptism and the Eucharist as sacraments. Christ was really present in the consecrated elements of the Lord's Supper, according to Luther. But there was no grace in the sacrament. It was merely an effective means to help the believer along the road to eternal life. Luther also proposed the substitution of German for Latin in church services and insisted on calling priests pastors or ministers to diffuse the supernatural authority associated with the word priest. There was to be no ecclesiastical hierarchy and monasticism 
was to be abolished. Finally, Luther argued that ministers could and should marry. In 1525, he took as his wife a former nun, Catherine von Bora. The Pope responded. In 1520, he issued a papal bull warning Luther to withdraw 41 sentences from his writing as well as the 95 theses within 60 days or be excommunicated. Before a huge crowd, Luther threw this papal bull into a roaring bonfire. In January of 1521, Leo X excommunicated Luther. The Holy Roman Emperor now issued his edict. He declared Luther an outlaw, banned his literature, and issued an order for his arrest. Helping Luther with either food or shelter was a criminal offense, but anyone could kill Luther without legal repercussion. Luther's ideas were widely disseminated thanks to the printing press. People read his ideas and he gained broad and enthusiastic popular support. Germans were seldom represented in the College of Cardinals which selected the Pope, and they almost never gained employment in the papal bureaucracy. They saw the Italian popes for the worldly scoundrels and sybarites that they were. Germany also had a large number of universities. This meant groups of enthusiastic, educated young people accustomed to working together to formulate doctrinal positions with assurance and quickly turn out militant manifestos. This support inspired Luther to persevere in defying Rome and encouraged some ruling princes to convert to Lutheranism. The German princes were willing converts. They disliked the money the church collected in their kingdoms being sent to Rome. If they supported Luther, this money would directly or indirectly wind up in their own treasuries. Additionally, Closed monasteries meant their wealth and lands could be confiscated. Princes also wanted to control the appointment of church officials in their own kingdoms and limit or end the independent jurisdiction of church courts. The powerful French, English, and Spanish kings had managed to acquire these concessions from the Pope, but not the weak German princes. When the princes saw the strong public support and the fact that the emperor was not defending the Catholic faith with all his power, several moved to introduce Lutheranism into their territories. Luther further endeared himself to the princes by expressing his own profound conservatism in political and social matters. He insisted that godly rulers must always be obeyed in all matters and that even ungodly ones should never be actively resisted, since tyranny is not to be resisted, but endured. The firm alliance of Lutherism with the powers of the state helped ensure social peace. In fact, after 1525, there were no mass lower class uprisings in Germany. Lutheranism became the state religion of Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and northern Germany. But elsewhere, 
early Protestantism took a different form. In the second half of the 16th century, Calvinism replaced Lutheranism as the dominant Protestant force in Europe and inspired massive political resistance in France, the Netherlands, England, and Scotland. Jean Calvin was born into a rich French family. He received church financing and the best possible education at Parisian colleges and a law degree. For Calvin, the entire universe was utterly dependent on God's will since he created all things for his greater glory. Because of the original fall from grace, Adam and Eve, all human beings were sinners by nature, unable to free themselves from this evil inheritance. Nevertheless, God, for reasons of his own, predestined some people for eternal salvation and damned all the rest to the torments of hell. Nothing that human beings did altered their fate. Christians, however, could not be indifferent to their conduct on earth. If they were among the elect, God implanted in them the desire to live righteously. Upright conduct was a sign. Public profession of faith and participation in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper were also signs of election. Good Christians were God's chosen instruments with a mission to help in the fulfillment of his purpose on earth. They served not for their soul's salvation, but for the glory of God. Calvin ordered good Christians to master the world with their unceasing labor for God's sake. He revived the Jewish Sabbath with its strict taboos against anything faintly resembling worldliness. Calvin wanted all traces of the Catholic Church's hierarchical system eliminated. He prohibited all ritual vestments, instrumental music, images, and stained glass windows in his church's services. He wanted little more than four bare walls and a sermon. Calvin arrived in Geneva, Switzerland, in July of 1536. He organized his new church and established a catechism to guide and discipline people. Calvin arranged the Genevan church into four offices, five pastors, teachers or doctors to instruct the people in and defend the true doctrine, 12 elders who were laymen, chosen by and from Genevan councils and empowered to, quote, oversee the life of everybody, and deacons to dispense church goods and services to the poor and sick. Geneva became a theocracy. The committee of 12 elders and five ministers had supreme authority in the city. Geneva was divided into districts and the committee visited every household without warning to check on its members' habits. They punished any antisocial conduct and persistently snooped into every individual's private life. Dancing, card playing, attending the theater, working or playing on the Sabbath were all outlawed as the devil's work. Innkeepers were forbidden to allow anyone to consume food or drink without first saying grace. No one could stay up past 9 p.m. Murder and treason were capital crimes. So too were adultery, witchcraft, blasphemy, 
and heresy. Every action needed to conform to God's law. Elders and pastors were quick to enforce the strictest moral discipline with severe punishments for a broad range of moral and religious transgressions. Calvinists believe strongly in both divine predestination and the individual's responsibility to reorder society according to God's plan. So they became zealous reformers, determined to transform and improve society. Since Calvinists were presumably destined to live eternally, they needed to externally act identically with their internal beliefs. This combination of religious confidence and self-disciplined activism produced an ethic that stimulated and reinforced the spirit of emerging capitalism. Calvinism and later Puritanism became associated with the concept of the Protestant work ethic. Calvin thought of Geneva as merely an intermediate place to exporting Calvinism to the rest of the world. He successfully dispatched missionaries and Calvinist propaganda into hostile territories, and there were soon large number of Calvinists in Scotland, Holland, France, and England. In Scotland, they were Presbyterians. In Holland was the Dutch Reformed Church. In France, it's Huguenot, and in England, Puritans. Geneva also became home to thousands of exiled Protestants driven out of France, England, and Scotland. They made up one-third of Geneva's population. The city was a beacon and a refuge. Geneva, during Calvin's lifetime, also gained the reputation of being a woman's paradise because the laws there severely punished men who beat their wives. The Protestant reformers, both Lutherans and Calvinists, took a positive stand on clerical marriage and strongly opposed monasticism and the celibate life. They challenged the medieval tendency to either degrade women as temptresses or exalt them as virgins. Protestants opposed the popular anti-woman and anti-marriage literature of the Middle Ages. Instead, they praised women in their own rights, but especially in their biblical vocations as mother and housewife. The reformers also viewed their wives as indispensable companions to their work and life. Luther said, even if it were possible for men to beget and bear children, they still could not do without women. There was a new value placed on marriage and family life and the sacredness of home and family. This attitude contributed to a more respectful and sharing relationship between husbands and wives and parents and children. In Protestant cities, women had an equal right to leave husbands who flagrantly violated the marriage contract. It also worked indirectly to make contraception and Planned Parenthood a respectable choice for married couples. Women who had been the shameful concubines of priests now became the wives of Protestant ministers. Women of the higher classes, who were enjoying a new social and political freedom during the Renaissance, found in Protestant theology a religious reinforcement for their greater independence. Protestants also encouraged the education of girls, 
They needed to be able to read the Bible in order to model their lives according to its contents. In 1555, the Peace of Augsburg made the division of European Christianity permanent. This agreement recognized in law what was already well established in practice. Cuyos regio, eius religio. The ruler of the land determined the religion of the land. Lutherans were permitted to retain all church lands forcibly seized before 1552. However, Calvinism was not recognized as a legal form of Christian belief and practice, so Calvinists remained determined to secure their right to worship publicly.